Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be giving you for the next 20 minutes or so our thoughts on important matters in and around the hotel investment space currently. Um, you're hearing from me, Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined uh, around the desk of Insight by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we're starting this week by uh, turning thoughts to a recent gathering in the hotel industry, the uh, Berlin Conference. Uh, Andrew was there, and uh, Andrew, you were picking up the mood of the market. Uh, how was it? Optimistic would be the one word answer I would give to that. Um, there are some caveats. Um, there were some fears around um, debt in particular, but uh, um, just dealing with that optimism piece, so this was the biggest ever gathering there's been at IHIF. Um, the International Hospitality Investment Forum. Um, 2,613 was the official attendance number. Mm -hmm. Now that that's higher than it was pre-COVID. Um, and if that's a reflection on, on the interest in hotel investment, um, that bodes very well for the future indeed. Um, tales were up particularly because of recent very strong trading. So as we've said, many times on this podcast um, the comparators for Q1 2023 are very much flattered by what went on in Q1 2022 when we still had Covid restrictions but as we're coming out of those restrictions um, you know we certainly had a very sharp recovery um, in April 2022 and um, it's continued and we've continued to grow on top of that in um, April 2023 so I think that that's really you know given people a lot of optimism there now i think had they had this meeting um about now um or certainly in this last uh, few days there would be have had been a different kind of uh, atmosphere because debt was very much the the worry word um even a couple of weeks ago or just under a couple of weeks ago but um it has turned into something much uh, more worrying um, just recently, more recently than that, in that what we're seeing is this this uh, inflation um, numbers, particularly in the UK, being significantly worse than anticipated. Um, we saw inflation, which was, uh, although dropping, um, it didn't drop anywhere near as much as had been hoped. And in particular, core inflation, so-called core inflation, um, which is underlying inflation, when you strip out for the effects of things like the um, energy spike and the food price rises, um, that core inflation was higher not much higher but enough to cause a bit of concern and that put the markets into a bit of a jitter and it's led to um, expectations that interest rates rather than having capped out at 4.5 percent as was hoped um, we're now seeing interest rates that could go up um, significantly more um, now some of the wilder forecasts are, the, are for them to potentially hit seven percent i think that's unlikely um, but i i certainly do think we're going to be seeing uh, something um, you know at five or even above five uh, capital economics um, 
who had been on the hawkish end of interest rate expectations until this latest bout of uh, of worry um, they have now moved their forecast from four and a half percent to five point two five percent but the good news is they do expect interest rates to drop faster now in the UK but that will happen um, later than predicted towards the end of next year um, so we're going to have rates higher for longer which is which is bad news given the difficulty people are having refinancing right now um, now we had the headline last week icr is the new ltv interest coverage ratio is the new loan to value um, and that is very much um, the problem right now in that uh, you know people are in generally a pretty good situation with their capital stack except the cost of debt has become unaffordable um, and it, it, the options available for, for some with refinancing are, um, are either to sell or, or to put in new equity um, and this is this is quite difficult this is I think the 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 going to be the story for the rest of this year how this how this comes out now i think the general consensus was um that we're not going to see a lot of distress pricing even if there is this distress in times in terms of the refinancing um the weight of money which we've been repeating ad infinitum for the last well since the onset <laughs> of uh, the, the pandemic restrictions saying look i think there's so much cash sitting to deploy that it's very difficult to see getting you know real bargains out there i expect there will have to be well there already has been significant repricings um but certainly nothing like um we've we saw in the 90s now yeah this is all predicated on the inflation actually behaving like it's meant to behave which is to you know gradually get down um interesting i um, looked at a, a note put out by blackrock the world's biggest fund manager um, and in their weekly commentary they said actually you know we, we've got a, a situation here where we are going to be seeing um, um, higher levels of inflation and central banks are going to have to learn to live with it um, they they described it as the politics of inflation and they say it's going to change and in actual fact you know in the in, in the US the Federal Reserve um, will stop its interest rate hikes even before inflation fully returns to its 2% target and to quote BlackRock we think we are going to be living with inflation. We do see inflation cooling as spending patterns normalize and energy prices relent, but we see it persisting above policy targets in coming years. So rather than 2%, you know, you're looking in the sort of four, five, six percent uh, for the foreseeable future. And it's very difficult to see how interest rates gonna, are going to get cut back much if we're going to see inflation at that sort of level. So um, capital economics do forecast that uh, UK rates are going to get cut um, quite fast towards the back end of next year. Um, but, you know, some of the irrational expectations we had about um, interest rates going right the way back down to almost zero, which we've you know which we've been enjoying slash suffering um, since the global financial crisis, and we said 
you know a few weeks ago that was why well wide of the mark um, and equally this irrational expectation of this sort of seven percent plus interest rate seems well wide of the mark but I think you know we will see a little bit of easing in interest rates um, sadly because I think we're going to have quite a difficult economic environment this is you know overall you know not a great outlook for for the sector but the reality is you know there's a sort of bit of an ugly baby contest going on <laughs> at the moment in 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 uh, the commercial real estate world um, and <laughs> thankfully hotels are losing it um, and you know the winners I mean for a long while the winner has been retail but now offices are joining in the fray and even industrial because and, you know, one of the things industrial has a problem with is that you know their yields got so tight um, that you know and they're, they're, they're on fixed um, leases in, in most cases that there isn't any room for adjustment there and this the only way things can adjust is for prices to drop unlike hotels which can you know set a rate every day um, and see their income go up accordingly that's not the case if you're invested in a in a warehouse you know on a on a triple net lease where you've got probably a captain collared inflation adjusted rent every five years or so um, so that's not a great situation to be in um, and I think hotels are actually looking a lot more attractive than that given this uh, um, ability to, to you know generate this income which you know and I think that top line piece is what's gonna that top line growth piece is what's going to get most people out of trouble um, here and why we're not going to see much in the way of distress pricing particularly in the hotel sector um, but but I do think you know it's still so unsettled that uh, yeah, you know I had been hoping for a, a sharper increase in terms of deal flow and that sort of stuff um, in the second half I think that's probably going to get pushed back a bit and how much we end up getting in the back half of this year remains to be seen but I do think we now need to have a period where it's quite clear we've reached the top in interest rates we know what debt costs are and once we have that um, I think on the stage somebody said you know you, you, you look a bit of a Muppet if you go up to your um, investment committee um, and then the next day um, debt costs um, go up again um, so you, you need to be able to make a pitch um, for the investment where you are pretty sure that debt costs are not going to keep spiking up um, and once we're in that position I think uh, you know I think we'll see start seeing a few more deals done um, but that is now you know rather than sort of starting next month it's probably going to be Q4 before we actually see that I suspect. I've just got used to the fact that it's Continental Hotels is going to have a new CEO and um well, uh, we've got another one to get in, contend with because it's all changed at the top of the French group Louvre, uh, where Federico Gonzalez is taking over. But um, he's going to be a busy man because he's still keeping his senior role uh, at uh, the top of Radisson Hotel Group. Um, so he's not only staying staying in charge of Radisson, but he's also going to be taking over Louvre. Who, um, and the interesting thing about this move is that, of course, both of these uh, hotel groups are effectively controlled by the Chinese uh, giant uh, Jinjiang. So... Um, Obviously, what we've seen since uh, since Gonzalez has been at uh, Radisson is uh, they divvied the, the business in two and sold off Radisson Americas to Choice Hotels. 
Um, so the question is now, what's he going to be doing with a Louvre, which uh, um, you know is massive in France and across mainland Europe, has been uh, expanding with the help of Xinjiang into China quite well. Um, but the, the question is, is he going to be uh, merging Radisson and Louvre and and creating a much bigger, more efficient beast in, in and across Europe and the West or is he going to work out ways to divvy up Louvre and sell bits off as happened with Radisson it's all to play for it is yeah so I, I certainly think initially you know the first thing I thought that all oh, this signals Louvre is now in play but on reflection I'm not sure it does and I think maybe it's a sign that finally Xinjiang is going to stop sitting on its hands I mean it completed on this deal back in March 2015 and really you look you know what has uh, Louvre done I mean it bought uh, uh, Indian chain shortly after um, uh, Xinjiang became owner but it's done very little um, it appears to have done very little since then it's been very quiet actually um, so and maybe what we're going to see here is a bit bit of a um, an increase in activity um, now the case for Louvre being sold is is pretty strong mm -hmm. in that uh, you know Xinjiang is owned by the Shanghai local government and um, the Chinese local governments are in deep shtuk so um, some sources uh, I think I got this from Bloomberg reckon that uh, government debts local government debts in china now exceed 15 trillion us dollars now that is a chunk mm. of change um and, and you know it, it, there is also reports i think uh, we we mentioned this a a month or two back in uh, in perspective um that uh, there was a reuters report saying that you know Chinese local government officials were flying out trying to raise flying out from China trying to raise cash to shore up their situation because the big problem they've got is that there's this meltdown in the property market that's happened as a result of Evergrande um, uh, um, has, has really hurt them um, in their coffers because about half of the their money they were raising had been through you know associated with the property market and if that property market slows down a lot of the money um, um, it falls away so that's a big big issue for them so th this is a quite significant uh, problem now on the other hand um, I, I do think that uh, um, that Xinjiang as a state-owned enterprise um, is sort of under the um, shall we say direction of the um, Chinese Communist Party and they've got a clear uh, sort of wish to grow um, particularly along the Belt and Road um, so this is that uh, initiative the Belt and Road initiative was where um, the Chinese government was investing overseas and building infrastructure projects notably in places like Africa um, 
and uh, you know one of the things they do need in these places of course uh, are hotels and Louvre is a good option for that in the, the economy and mid-market particularly I'd suggest um, so maybe we'll see a um, you know a bit more of a focus there um, so you know this this sort of mishmash that is that is uh, Louvre they've got sort of 250 owned and leased hotels and a further 1450 that are franchised more managed or they have this thing called managed um, um, so or manchise sometimes called um, it's a hybrid of a franchise and a management contract um, so you know m maybe um, Gonzalez, you know, he has a reputation as uh, uh, somebody to come in and sort things out. Um, so this could well be that that's what the intention is, rather than packaging it up for sale. Um, and in, in the end, what you've you've got to think about is it's in also in, in Xinjiang's corporate interest to have overseas properties uh, Xinjiang books something like one-third of Chinese outbound tourists and having an integrated offer um, you know Xinjiang has the flights it has the travel agency and it needs hotels to put them up in as well so it kind of makes sense for all of that um, so maybe this is indeed the case that uh, um, Xinjiang are simply hanging on now it does put a question mark on why on earth did they do that really funny deal with Radisson and sell off the Americas bit now I talked to a few people in Berlin actually and uh, one or two suggested well, actually this is geopolitics at play um, the Chinese don't want to be seen to be uh, owning anything in the States um, and so they've pulled out entirely from from the Americas as a result of that We'll see. I mean, you know, um, it, it seems to me to be an unsustainable and certainly unstable situation where you've got one group owning um, the same set of brands to another group. Um, I'm just not sure how that's going to work out. Um, so, but uh, I'm not convinced that my initial thoughts that this is all on the blog is correct. Um, it, it could well be that. Uh, Xinjiang are in for the long haul to cater for those mm -hmm. long haul outbound Absolutely. passengers. Now, uh, the next topic we're going to discuss is the budget hotel operators, and we had some numbers out recently from uh, Travelodge, the uh, big player in the UK, and also from Motel One, the, the German uh, outfit. And um, strong, strong numbers, strong performance, um, but of course, they need to be if you are paying rent and um, your your rents are going to be going up and your operating costs are all going up in terms of wages and so on so um but travel does seem to be running its uh its income ahead of its uh outgoings quite successfully um and the other interesting thing was revealed in the results were that um the the company's been able to complete a substantial refinancing um, albeit it does seem to be paying quite a high coupon on some of the new paper that's been issued uh, but um, so long as uh, the business keeps on pushing ahead and they can push rate uh, ahead of um, operating costs then then all should be fair yes yeah, so a lot of hype around luxury as the segment winner during the post-covid lockdown recovery period but i think budget or as it 
is usually called outside of the UK the economy sector um, remains an attractive place to invest and if we do get uh, some sort of recession I mean we've already got a recession in Germany with they've had two quarters of uh, of economic contraction and in fact the, the German economy is now below where it was at the um, immediately prior to um, the COVID lockdowns um, you know if we do have that tougher economic environment and um, the operational leverage of luxury which has played very well during the recovery isn't going to look so pretty if we do have a little bit of a slowdown and again we'll see the economy hotel sector resume its place I'd suggest as the um, at least financially sexier sector um, clearly luxury um, you know and particularly the lifestyle bits um, boutique bits is is, is the, the fashionable bits um, but I think in terms of returns what we've historically seen is uh, you know uh, a much better delivery from from the economy segment and you know key it's got a few things really going for it um, one is the low labor cost um, or rather the low labor um, proportion um, in terms of its cost base um, which is you know suits it very well in in a period of uh, uh, rising labor costs which we have um, it, it, it's also got uh, uh, an a you know much higher um, operating margins than luxury typically has um, so again that that um, I think makes it a very attractive um, investment now one of the interesting things I think is uh, how badly relatively Travel Lodge has done against its some of its nearest rivals. So you've got to look at Premier Inn certainly, but I think if you you know cross the channel and look into continental Europe, you'll see Motel One, which we talk about there, which has had you know it, it added. Um, um, about 10 percent more rooms last year um that that net unit growth rate is is pretty phenomenal but the one i think that's really catches my eye is b&b hotels now this is a goldman sachs owned entity they're a majority shareholder here they are involved of course still in in travel lodge um um but um, B and B, um, seven hundred hotels now. Its snug is also in double digits. Um, it added a whopping ninety-seven hotels in twenty twenty-two, um, and it's actually got this in almost incredible um, target of three thousand properties by twenty thirty, um, which um, is phenomenal. I mean, it, currently it's claiming its place as uh, uh, number one in. Um, uh, Italy and Germany this is in the economy market um, and number two in France and Spain so um, you know it, it's in a very good place and it's um, this year entering in the US well, just opened up in the US or about to open in the US it's coming to the UK and it's going to Denmark so it's spreading its wings to you know get on the way for those 3,000 hotels so um, the question is really you know uh, with motel one delivering on this and it's interesting i think you touch on in your piece chris how motel one has got a new sort of lifestyle hotel concept mainly i think um, this is called cloud one hotels um mainly i think to um uh, exploit the opportunities with conversions um 
but if motel one is growing like it is bnb is growing like it is it's time um travel lodge raised his game and delivered some uh, um some growth and just one fun thing um i i looked back um uh, at uh, Travel Lodge's press releases, and back in 2007, um, it was um, it said it was going to have a hundred hotels um, in yeah. Spain by 2020. Yeah. Uh, uh, mm, how many has it got now, Chris? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm. No, you're not far away. Five. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's uh, didn't quite mm. make that one. <laughs> so it's must try um, harder. <laughs> so. <laughs> indeed now it's indeed. time for our five star and no star awards of the week and five stars andrew i think you're you're giving to regulation yeah so you know it's one of these things we've urged for consistently urged the hotel sector cannot rely on regulation to save it from the likes of airbnb it has to react and has to respond to it i mean airbnb the big thing i think it offers is it has an understanding that experience matters more than service um in in terms of that guest um um you know what you're offering guests um now but but we are seeing and we've been bears on airbnb because we think that we've long thought that it can't forever escape the regulators and uh, it's it, it you know it really is getting more and more stuck um in stuck now um with the regulators and the latest thing is having to sue the uh, uh, new york city over how uh the, the the authorities over there are uh, restricting um, the ability of people to rent out their apartments now the big thing here is not to save the hotel sector um, actually what's driving this is the um, upset around the high cost of rents um, residential longer term residential um, property is the issue and this is the issue really that's driving um, most airbnb restrictions um, uh, not just in the us but uh, certainly in europe as well and it's, you know, it's growing up the, the list of complaints so i think this is a big um, going to be a, a growing issue for airbnb and i think it's going to cap off their ability to um, i mean their current valuation which is still phenomenal i mean they're still valued at uh, sort of 70 billion us market cap um you know that valuation is predicated on on growth potential and i just don't see that growth potential in their main market of private rentals now if you're a real optimist you might think oh they're going to grow in their other things like experiences well i'll leave that for the stock pickers but certainly um in their core private rentals market i think it's going to be a real and our no star award this week is going to TripAdvisor, who look to have stumbled a little um over their management of reviews you know they are the king of uh, reviews on in the travel marketplace and um, they have been f found out for um, deleting some genuine reviews uh, along with some spoof ones um, over the uh, hotel the St Regis Hotel in uh, Chicago which looks to have um, performed some missteps when it recently opened it got some negative reviews and um, yeah uh some people who wrote negative reviews but had actually stayed at the hotel are convinced that their reviews did not contravene any of uh, TripAdvisor's rules and regulations around what you are and are not allowed to do uh, but have been deleted so if you 
Do you, do you remember that time when um, this whole social media thing got going and it was uh, the wisdom mm. of crowds we heard so much about and how how brands were going to become irrelevant and all the people going to care about was yes. TripAdvisor. Mm. Anyway, so, you know, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>